Well, welcome to church. Why don't you turn to someone and just say, hey, give them a hug if it's appropriate. If it's appropriate, you know, like this, this is sometimes the moment where that young adult's a little too excited. Pastor said to give a hug and you're like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But hey, it is so great to be with you on this 15th day of October. Is anyone excited about fall? Where are my fall people at? I just see, it's funny when I say that because sometimes people are like, I just don't like that winter comes after. Be present in the moment, guys. All right? If you start thinking that way, it'll be like, I like summer, but fall comes after summer, and then winter comes after fall. So it's like you're never going to be happy. Let's just enjoy the changing leaves and pumpkin spice everything. Amen? Right? I love some good pumpkin spice. But uh, hey, turn with me in your Bible to the, the book of John. And we're going to go to chapter 14. Right, we're in the middle of this series called Jesus Town. And we're looking at this idea of what, what does it look like to have everyday faith with Jesus at the center. Looking at the idea of building our lives around not our own thing and then just being like, God, can you bless this thing that I'm doing? But actually going, no, I want to build what you're building. I want to build my life around you. Looking at this idea of being like, Lord, I don't want to just pick my own thing. I want you to go first. I'm coming after you. I'm yielding to you. Looking at the idea of leading with thankfulness and being like, God, you are good and you are faithful and you are trustworthy. And most of that is dealing with the fact that God is in control and that he is Lord. And we've been looking at that and, and we're going to continue in our series today by looking just not at just what Jesus asks us to do, but what he shows us to do. So let's read together John chapter 14, 10 to 12. says this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is talking to his disciples. We're kind of wrapping up his earthly ministry here. We're heading towards the end. And Jesus is talking to his disciples who are, who are troubled. And they're saying, Father, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, no, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own. But my Father who lives in, in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Then he says this in verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, you ready for this church? Will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Because I am going to be with the Father. We're going to unpack this in just a second. But if you're looking for a title for this message, I'm going to call it this morning, Connection and Reflection. Connection and Reflection. Let's play together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are at work in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds to what it is that you want to speak. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Build us up, we pray, for the work of the ministry. Father, we don't want to just have our own agenda, but we want you to be at the center of it all. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would open our minds and hearts to understand what it is that you're speaking. My words fall to the floor, but your words take root in people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I, I have three boys. If you've been around Nova for any amount of time, you've, you've probably heard me talk about them. If you haven't, I have three boys. I have Josiah, who's 18 months old, Ellis, who is three, and Leo, who is six. And I, I, I tend to make a lot of jokes about my house being slowly ripped apart. Um, 
because it is. That's, that's not a joke. To you, you all laugh. To me, it's just my reality, and I'm just venting about it, you know, in this room. But, you know, honestly, I love being a dad. I love hanging out with my boys and wrestling them and getting to be goofy with them and spend time with them. And Leo, he's the oldest, and he's, you know, he's sharp. He loves reading. So he's the one who gets all my long, deep conversations where I'm like, let's sit down and talk about formation into Christ-likeness. He's like, dad, right? Like, so pray for him. But Ellis, uh, you know, he is just sort of transitioning into that territory where he's not getting off the hook as much. Do you know what I mean by off the hook? Like babies, right, get off the hook for everything. Because they're a baby. Like, what are they going to do? And it's kind of this interesting dynamic because you have 18-month-old Josiah going over to the plants and ripping out all of the dirt. And you can say no, but he's a baby. He doesn't know any better, right? But then when Ellis goes and does that as a three-year-old, we're like, Ellis, that's not okay. He's like, Joey did it. And we're like, yeah, but he's a baby. He gets off the hook. And now Ellis is at the point where he used to get off the hook being a baby, but now he's like a toddler. He's a kid. So he's not getting off the hook with the same amount of stuff. And so it is, it is leading to some strong conversations. And Ellis is almost out of this phase. He's feeling it. The other day we're playing trains and like we're having a good time. But the time comes where it's time to clean up. And I don't know about you, but Brio train sets make the biggest mess. Like it's, it's, on, the, it's on level with Lego, especially if you have all the little pieces. And I'm like, okay, Ellis, buddy, it's time to clean up. But what he heard was, it's time to die, because that's how he reacted, right? Because he literally goes, what? No! And he drops to his knees, and like a cartoon dog sticks out his bottom lip and goes, I can't. And I'm like, buddy, come on. You can. It's not that hard. Let's just pick up the tracks and put them in the box. And he proceeds to pick up these pieces of track like they are made of the heaviest metal in the world. He's like, oh, and I'm like, Ellis, come on, man. Look, it's not that hard. He's like, daddy, I can't do it. And if you've ever heard Ellis talk, it's like just straight up broken English from that one, right? So he's like, and he's got this little gravelly voice. He's like, daddy, I can't do it. And I'm like, you can. And I come over and I'm like, buddy, look, watch me, okay? You take it, you walk to the box, you put it in the box. To show that it's physically possible. And he's like, okay. And he picks it up. And then he's like, no. You know, and I'm like, okay, I'll do another one. And then I realize that he's just making me a sucker and I'm cleaning. Right? So I go, Ellis, I'm not putting away anymore. Daddy's going to sit on the couch. And I go and sit on the couch. And he proceeds to continue whining and whinging and, you know, expressing that he's being persecuted by me. And then he finally, you know, kind of picks up one and manages to get it in the box. And then he's like, okay, Daddy, I'm done. I'm like, you're not done. There are 30 more pieces you need to get in there. And he comes over and goes, Daddy, I can't do it. And I'm like, you can do it, buddy. I just watched you do it. He goes, Daddy, you big, I little. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, Ellis. I understand what you're saying, but you still have the ability to do it just because you're little. And he's like, I can't do it. And I'm like, buddy, when I was little, and I don't know, like for the parents in the room, when your kids had that moment where they looked at you like, no, you were never a kid. You've just been this old your entire life, right? And he had this moment where he's like, you were a kid? Like, you was little, Daddy? I was like, yeah, I was little, buddy, and I had to clean up too. And my mom is six foot three in Danish. She was like a Viking woman. I needed to clean up. Times have changed, right? And he's like, he's like, okay, Daddy, I try cleaning. 
And he's like, you was little though, daddy? I was like, yeah, but like, and it was this whole thing. He couldn't believe it. And then he comes up to me while I'm lying there and he goes, but you grew up? And he pats my tummy and I was like, yeah, buddy, I grew. I got it. I got it. Go clean, right? So he goes and he finally starts cleaning. But it's amazing to me that sometimes, sometimes when we think that something is impossible, we let ourselves off the hook. Right? So I showed him, no, it's possible. You can put them in there. And then he comes over and makes another excuse. But, Daddy, I little. And you big. You big, Daddy. You do it. And I'm like, no, buddy. Just because you're little doesn't mean you can't do it. And when I opened his mind to realize, and this is how sophisticated we are as parents, I opened his mind to realize, wait a minute, I can pick up train tracks and put them in a box. All of a sudden, he was able to start cleaning. And it's amazing how when we think something is impossible for us, we just let ourselves off the hook. You know what I mean? Like, Ellis thought the reason that you could clean is because you're big, but the reason he couldn't clean is because he's too little, so he just gave up. He gave up. He let himself off the hook. And I wonder if sometimes we do this in our own faith journey. I wonder if when we read a verse like this where Jesus is saying, you will do greater things if you are any like you if you're anything like me your gut instinct is probably not cuz let's just consider the miracles of Jesus right blind eyes open deaf ears open leprosy cleansed i mean the list just keeps going walking on water calming a storm speaking to nature multiplying bread and to feed thousands of people and then like you know Lazarus being raised from the dead And he's like, you're going to do greater things. And you're like, probably not. Because you're God, and I'm just me. You're Jesus, and I'm just me. And it's easy to look at the things that Jesus did and the way he was and let ourselves off the hook because, well, he was God, so I'll just get back to Netflix. He must not expect much from me because I'm just me. I'm unremarkable. I'm just human. Like, I want to live for Jesus. I want to stop sinning. I want to be a loving person. I want to be self-controlled. I want to not worry or be anxious. I want to look like Jesus, but I little. Like, I little. So, God, you do the God stuff, because I too little. I couldn't. You ever felt that way? Like, I'm just being real honest. I feel that way a, a lot, and I'm working on it, but I have some great news for you today. This is like some deep core theology we're going to hit. Jesus was little too. And I'm not talking about when he was a little boy. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus was fully human. And this sermon is not necessarily about that. We're not going to take a ton of time to be on it. But this is a critically important theological concept for us to understand, to go forward in looking at Jesus as an example. You see, Jesus is Lord, and in his divinity, he says, this is what you need to do. He gives us commands. He gives us instructions. He gives us wisdom on how to live. But then he gives us a perfect example of what it looks like when it's put into action. And if we don't get this part of our theology right, we'll go, yeah, but you're God. You're God, so it's different for you. But we need to understand, John 1, 14 says this. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. See, we're comfortable with the divinity of Jesus, but we need to realize, theologically speaking, that he was fully human. He didn't cease to be God. He was fully God. 
But he decided to take on humanity and all of the limitations that come with that. He willingly imposed limitations on his humanity, on himself, and became human. His omnipresence, the ability to be everywhere, handed it over. His omniscience, knowing everything, handed it over. His omnipotence, being all-powerful, were laid aside and brought under the restriction of humanity when he came to live among us. And this is a critical concept to understand because if we're not careful, we read the stories in the life of Jesus and we go, sure, Jesus was able to heal people, but he's God. Jesus was able to calm the storm, but he's God. Jesus was able to have words of knowledge and wisdom. Sure, Jesus was able to love his enemies and pray for those persecuting him. Jesus was able to resist temptation and live a life without sin, but he's God and I just little. I'm off the hook because I'm not God. You know, this is actually, in church history, a heresy. There's this thing called docetism, and it was labeled as a heresy because what it said was that if Jesus is just God pretending to be a human being, then the gospel is not good news. And so if we embrace this idea that Jesus is just exceptionally different and I could never do what Jesus did because I'm just a human, we are actually dangerously close to not even believing Jesus for who he is. We are falling into error that will chip away at our faith. Everything that Jesus did on this earth was as a man. Submitted to the will of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is such an important theological point, so I don't want you to miss it. This is what he calls us to as well. The invitation to discipleship is to be with Jesus, spend time with him, connection with him, to become like him, transformed from the inside out, and do the stuff he did. Not just pray for God to do the stuff that Jesus would do, but to actually be connected to the Father, following his will, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and going, leg, grow back, and it happened. Greater things. So Jesus is either a liar or we're not doing it. And this is not to like batter anyone over the head. This is not what's happening. But Jesus being fully human has some serious implications. We're going to hit them real quick. Jesus being fully human means that he can fully relate to us in our human experience. Hunger, thirst, temptation, loneliness, frustration, betrayal, injustice, weariness, exhaustion, cultural currents that go against the way of God. He experienced all of it, and he was able to follow God through all of it. And sometimes we let ourselves off the hook. We're like, it's 2023, man. It's a different time than when Jesus was here. But I actually believe that one of the reasons that Jesus came when he did was because the Roman government was so corrupt. There was such a dark time in human history. And he was showing what it was to be a light on a hill in the middle of a dark valley. So let's not let ourselves off the hook because it's 2023. Because there's nothing new under the sun, church. We're still called to be faithful. We're still called to be people following and modeling Jesus. But what that also means is he knows what you're going through. You ever say that to your parents when you were a teenager? You don't understand. He understands. He gets it. He can fully relate to you. He went through it all. This is how good our God is. He was like, it's not just enough to give them commands from heaven. I'm going to go get in the muck with them and show them what it looks like to walk through it and come out the other side the way that I created humanity to be. 
The second thing that he shows us, Jesus being fully human, means that he can show us how humans are meant to fully relate to God. Jesus' humanity reveals to us what God's intention for humanity actually looked like before sin got involved. He shows us what it looks like to be obedient to the will and the way of his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what it would have looked like if Adam and Eve hadn't taken that fruit, his name is Jesus. That's what it would have looked like. Because he walked out in perfection, communion with God in the will of his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the evening. They were like, man, if I could just do that, then I would sin a lot less. And Jesus says, I'm going to give my very presence to you through the Holy Spirit. Who's going to live in you, not just walk with you? You see, we have the same access What it means is that we actually get to see the model of Jesus as the way we're meant to live. He models as a man what he expects as Lord. You see, Jesus doesn't just say, go do this. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. If a Roman tells you to go one mile, you go two miles. Go that extra mile. If someone asks for your jacket, give them your tunic as well. He doesn't just give us commands. He then lives them out perfectly. He says, this is is what it looks like to actually walk this out in reality. The Apostle John writes this in one of his letters, 1 John 1, 3, sorry, 2, 3, says this, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, he's real generous here. That person's a liar and is not living the truth. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here for encouragement today. But those who obey God's word truly and show how completely they love him. uh, Sorry, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. This is the key verse right here. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And because he was fully human, that means it's actually possible. Because he was in the will of his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that means the invitation to you and I is to be in the will of our Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, yeah, but I still mess up. I still make mistakes. Here's the great news. When Jesus was done here, you know where he went? To the right hand of the Father to pray for you and intercede. So when we make mistakes, when we step out, when we mess up, he is there praying on your behalf so that you can stay in the will of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the greater things that he has called us to do. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we're not going to be able to cover all of them because, I mean, my gosh, you want to talk about living perfect human life? Literally what he did. But there are two core things and a great starting point for us as believers. The first one is this, connection. Jesus' humanity here on earth perfectly shows and models connection to the Father. And how does he do that? He models connection through prayer. He models connection through prayer. Jesus was committed and consistent in connecting with the Father in prayer. Jesus himself, fully God, fully human, 
Prayer was a necessary part of his daily routine and rhythm and habits in order to be able to remain in the will of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is where the connection comes from. At least 25 times in the Gospels, we read of Jesus praying. According to Luke 5.16, Jesus prayed often by himself. In other words, he made a habit of it. That verse reads, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. It was part of his routine and rhythm. Have you ever had that thing where your friends are like, they're probably doing that? For me, it's coffee. Em will be like, boys, boys. You know, not that she yells. Sorry, sorry. You don't yell, Em. Boys, sweet, sweet children of mine. Bird flies in the, you know, lands on her shoulder. Where is your father? And you know what my kids say? They go, ah, I'm probably making a coffee. Because they know my habit. They know my routine. I disappear to the basement, and I'm working on the extraction of my coffee, and I'm, like, pulling a shot. I'm like, ooh, you can really taste the notes in that one because it's my habit. This was Jesus' habit with prayer. People are like, where's Jesus? Ah, probably praying. It's probably with the Father in the wilderness just getting connected, getting linked into the voice of heaven and the will of the Father for him to be able to do the thing. John 18.2 says this, Judas... The betrayer knew this place, talking about the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying before he went to the cross, getting lined up with the will of the Father because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. Like, imagine being so consistent in prayer that when your friends are trying to reach you and you're just, like, leaving them on red, they're like, oh, you know what, it's 7.30 on a Wednesday. He's probably in the park praying on that bench that he goes to. This was the life of Jesus. He was consistent in his habit. Or how about this one, Luke 6, 12 to 13. One day soon afterward, uh, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. He prayed to God for an hour. No, two hours. He all night, he prayed all night. And then look what he goes and does. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Here are their names. We're not going to read the names. Jesus is about to go and pick the core apostles to build the church, to build be in the will of the Father, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and to go and change the world, and he doesn't get a good night's sleep. Like, think about that, right? Think about, like, when you're lying in bed and it's 12 o'clock and you're like, oh, my gosh, how come I can't fall asleep? I need to get rest because I got a big day tomorrow. And Jesus goes, you know what's more refreshing than that? I'm going to go pray and be connected to my Father because he's the source of life that's going to actually give me wisdom to be able to walk this out and do the thing. I'm going to be able to do the stuff because I'm connected to my Father and his will. There's another scene where Jesus' disciples bring him some bread at a well where he's talking to a woman. They're like, Jesus, here's some bread. He's like, I have food you don't know about. No, he didn't. He didn't have food. What he was talking about was doing the will of his Father. That was his food. That was his sustenance. That's what was motivating him. What Jesus is saying is connection to the Father is more important than a good night of sleep or a good meal when it comes to being empowered to live the kind of life that we're called to live. But it starts with connection to the Father. It starts with connection to the Father. And that's why he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his, his uh, own work. And then he says, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Has anyone ever heard that language before? 
I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. And then the next chapter, what's the invitation of Jesus? John 15, remain in me, abide in me, and I'll remain in you. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. You will do much. But if you don't remain in me and I'm not in you, you're never going to do anything. Maybe the reason why we scoff at a verse like we'll do greater things is because we're not actually connected. And that's not a condemnation. It's just a real call to go, I think I need to, I think I just need to get with God. Like I think before I start my day, I got to get off the news feed. There's nothing positive on there anyway. I got to get off Instagram and I just need to go, God, I need you. I need a breath from heaven. I need what Jesus called bread. I need you. Not in our own wisdom or our own power. We need connection to the Father. Jesus says that all the miracles he does are evidence of connection to his Father. And he invites us to the same thing. Even in Matthew 6, when he's teaching us how to pray, he says, go away from lots of words. It's not about eloquence. It's not about a ton of words. It's not about just saying the right thing or finding the magic passphrase that God's like, oh, you said it. There it is. I'll give you your request. But sometimes we treat God that way in prayer. Don't we? Sometimes it's like if I just say the right thing or say it enough times or say it loud enough, we think God's hard of hearing. Jesus says, no, don't do that. And you know what? Don't stand in crowds trying to get applause for your prayers. Go away into your prayer closet. Just go get with God. And Jesus prayed with his disciples in public. Jesus prayed for people. We see it happening. That's the tip of the glacier, baby. And the rest is all personal, quiet, devoted, solitude with God to say, I need to be connected to you. He models and invites us to connect with the Father, to understand his will and leading, to be in the presence and filled with the Holy Spirit for empowering. The second thing that we see is this. He models reflection in Scripture. What does Jesus think about the Bible? Like, what do you think Jesus would think about the Bible? says this, there's a trend right now, hold on, we're going to read in a second, <laughs> let me get back to that note. There's a trend right now to make Christian spirituality a thing of connecting to God based on feelings and intuition. And since the Bible is full of some challenging and complicated things, there is a movement right now to do away with a lot of it. Like the Old Testament, is that really for us? I don't know. There's a lot in there that I don't like, so let's just mo mainly focus on the New Testament. And then you got this whole train of thought that's like the New Testament. Well, Jesus wouldn't have considered that Scripture because it wasn't written yet. So we can't count it as Scripture. So you have these people who are like, the Old Testament doesn't count. The New Testament doesn't count. What do I feel? And God, how can you bless me? By the way, that's also a heresy. Just putting it out there. We've talked about several heresies today. That's fun. I like it. Here's the thing. Jesus did not do that. He didn't go, hey, guys, it's the year zero. Why are we still reading this thing? No, he actually doesn't do that. Jesus, as a young boy, would have been immersed in Scripture constantly. He would have memorized the first five books of the Bible by age seven, and by age 12, Jesus is sitting in the temple and his parents think they've lost him, and when they come and find him, he's sitting there asking questions of the leading scholars of his day, and they're amazed by his comprehension and knowledge. 
Jesus was immersed in Scripture. After Jesus is baptized, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness and fasts for 40 days. Now, there's a lot going on here that is way cooler than we have time to get into. But Satan appears to Jesus to try to tempt him away from God's plan and purpose, the will of his Father, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and do it in his own power and the world's way. Satan is trying to get Jesus to do his ministry the world's way. Be very cautious of ministering for God the world's way. Because Jesus didn't do it. We are not called to do it. And in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of confusion, we need to ask the question, Jesus, where are you standing? Because that's where I belong. I'm going to stand with you and do it your way. What does your word have to say about this? Because that's what Jesus does. Matthew 4, Satan turns, he says, turn these stones to bread, Jesus. You're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it is written. He doesn't go, man, do you know who I am? He's like, oh, I don't even need to talk about me because I know what God says. In Deuteronomy 8, 3, then Satan says, fine, well, then jump off this building because it's written, Jesus. He twists scripture. Man, be very cautious of twisting scripture to justify the world's way. He says, look, Psalm 91, Jesus, you're not going to put your heel on a stone because he's going to command his angels concerning you. And what does Jesus say? He's like, oh, please. This makes me think of that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan is like, don't quote deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. And Jesus in this moment just goes, oh, yeah, I see you, Psalm 91, and I raise you, Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put the Lord to the test. And then lastly, he's like, you know what? Just worship me. Just bow down to me once. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus doesn't refute that, by the way. Notice how he doesn't go, well, you don't have all the kingdoms of the world, Satan. He's like, you know what? I'm going to take them a different way. I'm going to conquer them a different way. I'm not going to bow down to you. Because in Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, do not worship anyone but the Lord your God. Jesus does this. He does this thing where he brings up scripture often. And he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And some people are like, look, Jesus is rewriting the Bible. See, he doesn't respect it because he's just changing it. But here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is taking a verse like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Which you're like, eh, that seems just. And he's like, yeah, but your heart in understanding that is just wrong. So I'm going to tell you what that really means. What it means is this. If someone slaps you on the face, just turn the other cheek. See, Jesus takes the law and he says, no, you're misunderstanding it, so let me bring clarity. This is actually harder to do. I expect more from you. And in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Jesus had a very high view of scriptures, quoting them often. And while we don't see him reading like the way that we do devotionals, remember that Jewish people had an oral tradition, which means that it was memorized in his mind. You don't want to do a daily devotion? Memorize the whole thing. You don't want to have to pull out your Bible on a daily basis? Memorize the whole thing. And until then... We are called to immerse our minds and hearts and meditate on God's law and think about his word because it brings life. Why does it do this? Because scripture provides reflection. 
It reflects who God is. It reflects what he has done. It reveals God to us and shows us who he is. You know how hard it is to sing to a God you don't know? Good news, you can find him here. He's revealed in this. It reflects God. Jesus would have been constantly reflecting on who God is and what he had done. And then the other part of scripture, what he asked to do, he is the other part of scripture. When he speaks, he is giving a new law and a new commandment. This would have been constantly on his mind and in his heart. See, some things we don't need to bring to God in prayer. You know, some things are just very obvious in the word of God. And Jesus knew this. We don't need to be waiting for God to tell us whether or not we should murder someone who cut us off in traffic. Because it's made clear here. We need to be people who understand and look for God in the midst of all of it. It is written. Scripture reflects and reveals God and his heart and intentions. And this is most clearly seen through Jesus. We're going to close with this verse here. Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, the Bible is, is like this. It reflects God to us. And when we get into it, it reflects us to us. Part of what the Bible does is reveal our motives and intentions. And by embracing it, by digging into Scripture, it allows us to open up to God and say, oh, I'm, I'm wrong here. You see, when we read about some of the characters in the Old Testament, it's a form of narrative that's not supposed to be instructional. We're not supposed to look at David and Bathsheba and go, oh, that's what I should do. I should cheat on my wives. Wives. Do you see why we're not supposed to be like him? But what it does is it goes, oh, I have jealousy in my heart. I'm discontent. I'm like David. But then the beauty is that when we are reflecting, when we're doing this, when it's revealing our intentions and our motives, but we are also in connection with God, it just allows us to go, God, I need you to change that. I need you to do some open heart surgery here and transform me within. Connecting to God through prayer and reflecting on God and who he is and what he has done, allowing scripture and the presence of the Holy Spirit to reflect back on us and be convicted of the need to change is when we really start to live like Jesus. When we step into the true humanity that God made us for. You see, becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're becoming more like a deity. It means you're becoming more like a human. The way that we're meant to be. Not broken, not malicious, not proud, like Jesus. And that's the invitation of Jesus to us. So I want to ask the question, how's your connection? How's your connection, church? If you were to really just be honest, and we do this with the youth sometimes, on a scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> it's funny because you can always tell there's like the one person who's like, probably a 9.5. And there's the one person who's like, a 1, a 1, I'm terrible. <laughs> 
But honest reflection does this. We go, God, like I, I recognize that I'm probably a three, maybe a four on a good day. And the invitation of Jesus is take another step. How's your reflection? How's your time in the Word? We have more resource today than we have ever had in history. We have more opportunity to read the Bible than we ever had in history. We have more freedom now to read the Bible than we've ever had in history. So why are we letting ourselves off the hook? I would encourage you, I want to challenge you, out on the table, out on this side of the doors, we're going to be for the next 14 days as a church doing a soap devotional. Now, if you don't know what soap is, real quick, it's scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And what we want you to do is we want you to get connected and reflected by the Word of God. We want you to take that soap devotional, and we as a church are going to open those verses and allow it to connect us to God, to put us in His will, to realign us, to empower us by the Holy Spirit, and also to reflect who God is, what He's done, and where we need to come into alignment. And so what you do is, is very simply, there's instructions in there. You write down the, yeah, perfect. Thank you, Pastor Nancy. All right, this is it here. What you do is you write down the scripture, you put an observation about that scripture, and then the application, how do I apply this in my life? And then lastly, you spend time in prayer. You write down your prayer, and if that feels weird to you, just do it, just see how it goes. And see the faithfulness of God when you write down a prayer like, God, help me change. And then a month from now, or two months from now, when we look back and we go, I see that prayer being answered. Church, you are called to greater things. And we don't just serve a God who tells us how, we serve a God who became a man and shows us how. So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna go grab coffee, it's gonna be awesome, but would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that it's been challenging, but Father, I also pray it's so encouraging. I pray that we feel a sense that we can do it. And so, Lord, as we go and we pick up these soap devotionals, as we read them together as a church, one body, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would connect to us. God, that you would empower us. And, Lord, that you would reflect on us. God, that you would help us see where we need to change. And then we would discover and fall in love with more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, church, be blessed. We'll see you next week. Have an amazing coffee. Hang out with some people in the lobby. Grab a soap devotional. We'll see you next week. Church.